Hey writers, welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Lewis. And I'm Rachel. And today we are going to be talking about a wonderful world of static arcs or flat arcs, depending on the terms that you're used to. Uh, though for those of you who are normal listeners of the podcast, you might notice that a couple things have changed <laughs> since the last time you listened. Yes. So Lewis is joining us today as our wonderful co-host. Um, Emily is out on maternity leave. She had her lovely little girl in September. Um, so we've been going through the episode backlog. And now Lewis is joining us to co-host for a couple episodes. It's going to be so much fun. Um, if you haven't met Lewis before, he has been a guest on our podcast um, a couple times. We love working with him. We work with him in a lot of different ways. Um, he is such a good friend of the show and a good friend of Golden May. Um, so Lewis, before we jump into static arcs and flat arcs, could you just tell us where they can normally find you when you're not co-hosting Story Magic with me? Um, yeah, normally people can find me at thenovelsmithy.com. Uh, that's where I do most of my stuff. Uh, but for now, we are we're all in podcast recording mode, yes. and I'm very excited, especially because I don't have a podcast of my own because my my anxiety levels just would not allow. <laughs> it. So this is great. <laughs> you're gonna get like four or five practice runs here, and before you know it, you're gonna see a, a novel smithy podcast coming out. <laughs> Hell will freeze over. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well. Uh, so stick around for more um, co-host episodes with Lewis um, over the next few weeks. They're going to be super fun. But today we're talking about static arcs, flat arcs, um, terminology, depending on what you're used to, can be either or. Um, but Lewis, could you tell us what they are? What are static arcs? What are flat arcs? You know, what are why are they different than a normal quote unquote arc? So, um yeah, terminology is weird. Uh, in my work, I usually call them flat arcs because that's what I originally learned. A lot of people, like you said, call them static arcs. Yeah. Um, flat or static arcs are interesting in that normally when you think of a character arc, uh, it is about change. It's called mm -hmm. change arc. So it's either a positive arc, you know, they're they're growing into a better person, um, they're adopting some new belief that is that is positive, or a negative arc which is they are sort of decaying. They are mm -hmm. regressing as a person. They're adopting negative beliefs or harmful beliefs. Um, a, a static arc is kind of interesting in that it is not, it is not about changing the character who is undergoing the arc. It is about how they are changing the world around them. So yeah. personally, I still think of it as a change arc just because that helps my brain. Yeah. Um, but it's not a change arc in the way that a lot of them are. It's much more externally focused than internally necessarily yeah oh i love that and i think a lot of people miss that very important part of static and flat arcs um where they'll they'll consume something or they'll be planning their story and they're like well my character doesn't change um stories are about change so like what am i doing wrong and we talk a lot on the podcast and we talk a lot in our work and i've seen in your work too about how stories themselves are about change and you don't get rid of that fact by using, you know, a flat arc, um, the character themselves is just changing the world around them, which can still be a very powerful story. And it can still, you know, have really strong impact in your reader because they're, they're seeing a different version of that change through one character's journey. Um, these done well, like these flat arcs done really well are wonderful stories. 
Yeah, static static and flat arcs are cool um because they they're they're almost more they're more teaching oriented, I guess is the way I would describe it. Is I often think of them as like their arcs about like healing, teaching, guidance. Um, but that teaching aspect is really interesting because a lot of traditional, like, you know, your like traditional uh positive arc, like hero's journey style. Um, you're sort of going along with a character who's struggling a lot. Like they don't know. They start from a place of of having some limiting belief or harmful belief. Um, I hear some people use the word inner struggle. There's a lot of, again, terminology yeah. for it. Um, and so you're sort of seeing them come at it from a place of like missing something and sort of trying to gain that and mm-hmm. figure things out. Whereas a flat arc already has that. And so it's a, to- yeah, it's a totally different perspective um, that it it's a different type of story. It makes a different type of connection with the reader. Um, but yeah, there's still that element of change. It's just, they're changing the people around them versus yeah. themselves. Yeah. So, and, and the terminology we use in the podcast, we have uh, like what you were just saying, we have the flawed belief of like the internal obstacle and a positive arc is where you're learning, you're, you're unlearning your flawed belief. You're letting go of the internal obstacle and you're learning the story point by the end of the book, the character is going to adopt that story point, that truth. Um, they're going to let go of their flaws and believe something new and healed by the end of the book. And that's what we typically see in like a positive arc. And then in a negative arc, um, you would have that character who has that flaw. Um, They're perhaps aiming for their goal by the end. They might tease the fact whether or not they learn the lesson they're supposed to be learning. They learn the story point, but they ultimately fail. They don't learn the lesson. And so they don't achieve their goals and they experience a negative arc with a static arc. You have the character who already believes the story point, usually already believes that truth. They're already, they already know the lesson, the healed thing. Um, they're coming, they're starting the story in like a solid place. And the story then is about teaching that lesson to the world around them, changing them in that regard where you're trying to get the, the character to impart um, the story point on the world around them and, and change it in that way. Does that sound right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sort of to that point of like, it's just a different perspective is that often positive art characters are guided by a flat art character. Yeah. Um, so something I'm sure we'll talk about as we get into maybe some examples is that f- um, flat or static arc characters almost always have some kind of companion character that's a positive arc because part of their journey, like the metric of whether they have quote unquote succeeded is have they passed that that truth on to other people and there's no better way of showing that than with a positive art character that they're sort of guiding and that is there to sort of provide challenges and obstacles for them um one of the the sort of to your point of you see some um authors who look at their story and see that they're their protagonist isn't changing really dramatically and they worry that they're doing something wrong when what they really have is a static arc. Um, I've also had students come to me with stories where they knew they wanted to write a static arc, but their story just felt kind of flat, like something was hollow, it was missing something. And in working with them, what I found is that they took the flat aspect of like the character themselves is not growing and they sort of, forgot that there still needs to be obstacles there you're still testing that character yeah. um 
So there's often elements of like upholding that belief in the face of resistance or um, even some flat art characters start to lose that belief. They start to question their truth and have to sort of come back to it. Um, so there can still be elements of of change. Like it's still dynamic. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, I love that. I think you're right on of just because your character is already having that solid belief, they're already in a healed place, doesn't mean they don't struggle. It doesn't mean they don't run into things that make that challenge them or make them question or make them wonder, is this the right thing? They just come out the other side, like knowing that they do hold the right belief and that through that, the people around them are able to change. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. So you, you kind of touched on this um, and we have lots of examples to go into. Um, but talking about like what purpose static arcs serve and why they're important, you kind of touched on the idea of a static arc a, as a main character arc. And then a static arc is like a secondary character arc. Mm -hmm. So we have like a protagonist who is not changing, but then you might also have like, let's say if you're, if your main character is going through a positive arc, you may have a secondary character that has a static arc, like a mentor figure who knows the story point lesson and is teaching it to the main character. In both of those situations though, the static arc character, the person with the flat arc they are, you said this earlier, the, the purpose they're serving is to guide someone else, to to mm -hmm. put someone on a path of healing or to change the world around them in some way. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. The only, the only sort of tricky part of that is that, uh, for instance, if you have a positive arc protagonist, so your main character undergoes a positive arc, you know, very sort of tra traditional, very typical, you might have mentor characters or allies or other other characters in the story who teach them, who sort of guide them on their journey, but that aren't static arcs, which is is sort of just, it's a weird gray area. Static arcs are, are just like positive arcs in that they're sort of a, a story-wide journey. Like, yeah. This, the arc will take the whole novel usually to sort of resolve itself. And that naturally takes like a lot of word count. Like it takes some space to develop that. Um, the The terms I usually use, I'm not sure what y'all typically use, is like a dynamic character versus a round character. Mm. So a dynamic character is a character who undergoes some kind of character arc. Like they make a dramatic change in themselves or in others. And a round character is just like, a fully developed character, they have a strong sense personality, backstory, goals, but they don't undergo a big change. Got it. And so you might have mentor characters who are just round characters. Like they know the lesson, they're teaching it to your protagonist, but they're they're not undergoing this big story-wide arc. But you can totally have secondary characters who have these longer um, you know, static arcs or flat arcs. Um yeah. I just, I make that distinction because I don't want people to look at this and be like, I have like three mentor characters and now I have to write three flat arcs. And, oh my God. No, no, no. There's a, yeah, there's a sort of middle ground there. Um, that makes total sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, that also then, now I have a question. Uh, so Lewis has been on the podcast. He's heard us before. We love to jump around. We love to have all sorts of um, thought trains that I go down. So my next thought train is... Um, Let's talk about a series, for example. Um, you might have um, a protagonist with a positive arc in one book, and then in the next book, maybe they have a static arc, and then in the next book, they're back to a positive arc. 
Um, so you could interchange or put this flat arc if you're thinking of a, a multiple book series. Um, you might have a protagonist who experiences different types of arcs in different books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, a lot depends on the type of series you're writing. Yeah. Um, and I know we've talked about this in a in a past episode. So for yes. anyone interested in that, um, go check that one out. Uh, that's but, episode uh, 33, um, when to write or reject a series with Lewis. So go listen yes. to episode 33. Yeah, so in that episode, we talked about there are a couple types of series. So depending on the type of series you're writing, what that looks like for you might be slightly different. But um, say you're writing sort of like a very classic trilogy where it's one big story. It's just told across multiple individual books. In that case, I usually encourage people to have some kind of um, overarching arc. So your protagonist in book one may have a positive arc in book one and a flat arc in book two and a positive arc in book three, but it all adds up to a larger positive arc across the whole series. Um, but for something like uh, like thrillers or mysteries often are uh, a static series named very appropriately because they tend to have static protagonists because it's the same protagonist in every book, but you're not, you're not telling this giant story. You're, it's sort of, the same, like they're solving a murder in every book or they're, you know, going to a town and like, you know, un uprooting corruption, whatever it may be um, in each book. It's not, it's not this giant story. Um, so I, you know, to speaking of examples, an example of that would be something like Jack Reacher. Um, they exist in kind of a weird space where they are, in the traditional sense, they are flat arc characters. Like they they have a journey in each book, but because you're repeating in every book, what that looks like is is slightly different than maybe in something like um, like a standalone novel, where it might be a more dramatic flat arc. There might be a lot more obstacle and a lot more questioning of their of their truth in a static series like that. Like by Jack Reacher's fortieth book, like he's pretty comfortable <laughs> in his truth. Like he's like I've been through this rodeo before. Um, and that's okay. He's still sort of enacting change on the people around him. Um, so it still falls into that space. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. If you still see him changing the world around him mm -hmm. by book 40, are we still, because I mean, each cast of characters is probably slightly different as you have different um, murders or mysteries or whatever it is. Um, as you can tell, I, I don't read a lot of Jack Reacher, but uh, <laughs> do you still see though that change that he as a character has on the world around him? Yeah, I would maybe not as not super dramatic. <laughs> not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily as dramatic. Um, a, another example um, that I like to use for flat arcs is something like Dirty Dancing. Anyone familiar with that movie? Um, the protagonist of that movie, uh, Baby Houseman, is a very like textbook, super classic flat arc, and her her story is paired with her love interest, which is a very common setup that is a positive arc. A lot of romances have one flat, one positive yeah. um, in a lot of cases, but she she undergoes a lot of questioning of her truth. Like she she never gives up on it, but yeah. her her sort of dark night of the soul, like when when things really go south for her, like she does have a moment of, you know, am I being her? Her truth is that all people should be treated equally. Yeah. Um, and she lives in this very socially stratified, like hierarchical world, 
and her love interest is on the bottom of that hierarchy and she is on the top and she's like, I don't care. I love him and you should treat him equally. And the people around her refuse. Right. And so she has a moment where she's like, am I being naive? Cause even he is like, I will never be equal to you and you need to accept that. And she just refuses. Um, so for her, that's a more dramatic flat arc. Like a, m- there's more obstacles in her way versus something like Jack Reacher or James Bond. Like again, They've been through that rodeo a couple times. They kind of know what they're doing. Um, you know, there's still there's still an arc there. It's just not as intense. There's not as much like internal questioning, I would imagine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I've I've never thought about Baby that way. Um, I would love to go back and watch that movie again now. When you first wrote down this example, I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. Because I would have said that she does change to be from um this is where i think i love how different characters and their behaviors can show up and why they think this is so central to beliefs versus necessarily um 100 expression i guess here's here's where i'm going with this um correct me if i'm wrong it's been a long time since i've seen dirty dancing Mm -hmm. um baby is very shy and timid at the beginning of that movie right like she's um like she's she's un, she's not sure how to express herself with her body and with her dance, and then she does come out the other side like very confident, and she's doing that that big dance at the end, and she's like doing the recital, and she's very excited about that. And like for me, that was where I where like my brain went of like oh, but she does change, but it's not about that. It's about like the belief that she holds. Which now that you explained it, I'm like oh yeah, duh. Like she does have that belief at the very beginning. Um, I think it's evident in you know, the, where they're not at, they're at like a resort retreat. They're at a resort in the Cascades. Okay. I think. Yeah. And she, the movie starts by her family is teasing her because she wants to join the Peace Corps because yeah. she's all about like justice. Yeah. And they're like, you know, naive baby off doing her thing, the youngest child. And she just kind of brushes them off. Cause that's, that's firmly her belief is like, people should be treated equally. The world should be just, yeah. I'm going to work towards that. And yeah, so I see what you say about like how she is expressing herself changes. She becomes yeah. more assertive and more confident. My, I guess where my brain went yeah. when sort of breaking down that movie, I've admittedly watched it like 20 times. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly obsessed. Um, who knew? Patrick Swayze. I know. Um, <laughs> but um, is, I, I think about, so sort of drilling down to like an an even more tangential like craft topic but your core conflict like yeah what is the driving conflict of the story whatever arc you use positive negative or or static um the the protagonist's journey through that arc is what will allow them to either it will allow them to resolve the core conflict either for better or for worse you know a negative arc uh, they'll resolve it in a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> it, will, it will be more destructive. But for a positive or a flat arc, they'll resolve it in a positive way. And for me, what ultimately allows her to resolve the core conflict of that story, which is the prejudice of the people around her, they're, you know, mistreating the staff at this resort, which her love interest is one of the dance instructors. So they're mistreating the staff at this resort, and it is causing the staff to suffer, like financially, personally, medically in a couple instances in the story. Um, And so 
her being more assertive isn't really what changes people, but her, even as they're telling her she's wrong, and at the end, she what she does is she convinces her love interest, Johnny, who's going on a positive arc, to believe her truth, that yeah. the world should be just and he should be treated equally. And he convinces all of the staff to then stand up for that. And she goes on their side and they sort of make a show of like, you know, I'm equal to him, he he's equal yeah. to me. And it in doing so, that changes the people around her. So that's where my head's at. Yeah. But I think with all things storytelling, like some of it is just how you approach it mentally. You know, yeah. there's not always one right answer, so to speak. No, I think, well, I agree with you, but I also think you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think you're totally right because I think there's, um, there's so many different layers to a very strong character. And I think this is, this is a great example of like ogres have layers and like baby has layers, you know, <laughs> like you just keep feeling. Like we're going to eat a baby. That's really dark. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Baby Houseman from Dirty Dancing, the main character has layers. Has layers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you peel back those layers at the core, you still have the, that central belief that is driving all of her action. Um, and that is the belief that she imparts on the people around her, which is a classic flat arc. Um, I've never thought about that. So I love that example. Uh, we have, I mean, we have a couple other examples. Which one should we talk about next? Well, actually, I was going to say to sort of draw on that, um, you know, you mentioned like she's a flat arc because her belief is constant and is what allows her to resolve the core conflict. But she does change in how she expresses herself. Yeah. She right. becomes more assertive. She becomes more confident. She becomes more comfortable in herself. Um, she's still a flat arc, but she she more visibly changes. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, there's a there are characters like um for anyone familiar with uh Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli films, um Ashitaka, the protagonist of Princess Mononoke, is also a flat arc. Um, or anyone who watches like yeah. old westerns, uh Maddie Ross, the um not a protagonist, but a secondary character in uh, True Grit is another uh, really classic flat or static arc. Both of those characters don't change. Like yeah. they are the same personality. They express themselves the same way. They have the same mindset. Like they are incredibly consistent throughout those stories, but they still fit in that flat arc space because they they hit all the beats of a flat arc. And it's their belief is what allows them to resolve that core conflict. Um, so that, you know, again, so, uh, characters have layers. Yeah. Like there's different ways that a character is going to express themselves even within like a flat arc. Like you might, yeah. you could put baby next to Maddie Ross and you'd think they're not the same. But yeah. when you sort of look a layer deeper, they are, they are the same arc deep yeah. down. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I, I have to say again, how important it is to still give those characters challenge and struggle mm -hmm. because I think that's where they truly shine. Like that's where they're able to, impart on the reader and on the people around them, like why their central belief is so important. Um, if you lose that struggle, um, if you're not giving your, your static arc, your flat art character, those opportunities where they are challenged, they're not going to get across like the whole point of why they hold this belief and like why other people should also hold this belief and how it 
creates a better life or, or how this should be part of the world. Um, so it still is really important to give those characters struggle um, and not just let them kind of like flit through the world. They know everything they're supposed to know. Like, well, they still have to work really hard and they still have to, um, you know, go up against obstacles and fight with other characters. And um, it's through that struggle that they're able to communicate the change that they want the world to have around them or the communicate the belief that they hold within that other people should also hold. I I think that's why also I, I mentioned with um, Dirty Dancing, but this isn't a hard rule. There are yeah. certainly examples where this isn't the case, but in like 90% of flat arcs that I work with, at least there is some kind of companion character. Yeah. So baby has Johnny, who's a positive arc. Um, Ashitaka has princess Mononoke, who's a positive arc. Maddie Ross has uh rooster. Who's a positive arc. Like, you know, all of these characters, I'm trying to think of an example that that's not the case. Um, I know you mentioned Steve Rogers as an example of a flat arc. Yeah. Who does it? Does he have? He, I wouldn't necessarily say he. I didn't think does because she already. What's her name? Um, what Peggy, Peggy. Peggy Carter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she she knows what's up. <laughs> right. She's already like pretty solid, as yeah. it is. I will say I think it depends on the movie um, or the specific story he's in because I think he yes what his arc looks like is a little different. But if you're thinking across like the whole MCU he influences a lot of characters and doesn't necessarily have one companion character. Right. Um, yeah. So again, it's not a hard rule, but it is really common because um, if you're familiar with, um, you know, sort of story structure, um, the different sort of major like turning points in a story, a flat arc is still going to have a, like a dark night of the soul. They're still yeah. going to have a third plot point. They're still going to have a third crossroad, whatever framework you use that makes sense for your brain. Um, they're still going to have a moment where like, you rip the rug out from under them and they are like, I will never be able to do this. Like I, this will never work out. And in a lot of cases that is done through that companion character. So yeah. to pick on dirty dancing, just cause it's the one I'm like most familiar with yeah. um, her dark night of the soul is, you know, she's sort of in this secret relationship with Johnny because the people around her would not approve. They find out because she stands up for him. Um, one of the other people at the resort, uh, not to get real dark, but kind of has been sexually abusing him and it's yeah. a whole thing. Um, she finds out that baby has a relationship with him and to punish him for that because she's crazy and awful. Um, she lies to the manager saying that he stole from her. Yeah. And he says, I wasn't there. I didn't steal from her. And the manager is like, I will never believe you. You're beneath me. Yeah. And baby pipes up and says, well, he was with me you know, I can, he's, I have an alibi. We were together. Yeah. And in doing so reveals their relationship. She's expecting the people around her to say, Oh, this lady was lying. He didn't do this. We shouldn't punish him. But what actually happens is they say, Oh, he's been fraternizing with someone above his station. We're going to punish him anyways. And we're going to punish you. Yeah. And so that is a really painful moment for her. Cause one, it, it threatens her truth you know, it's this moment of like, am I being naive? Um, and two, it damages her relationship. He he leaves. He's like, well, I no longer have a job here. I'm not allowed to stay here. I'm going to leave. So their relationship's over. Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a painful scene for her as a character, even though she has this flat arc. Um, so, yeah, if you're familiar with any any of the sort of 
well-established sort of well-respected story structures, you're going to hit all those beats, even with a flat arc, you know, you're gonna have dark moments, you're gonna have light moments, you're gonna have highs and lows. Um, which I think f the words flat and static sometimes make us think that that won't be true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. So I have a question then for you, um, in, in save the cat, which is what we usually talk about on the podcast and what we usually use in most of our content, that all is lost moment, this big failure moment where the rug is ripped out from under them in a positive arc, they reach that all is lost moment because of all of the fit, all of the consequences of the flawed choices they've had so far in the story. So they hit that moment basically because they've been doing things wrong or like they've had these flawed decision moments that have created negative consequences that are now coming to a head in the all is lost. And this moment is their wake up call of like, you've been doing things wrong. So you have to change. And then they go through dark night of the soul beat where they have that change moment. They process everything that's been happening and they recognize, oh, I can't keep living with this flawed belief, with this internal obstacle. I have to learn a healed belief. I have to learn the story point. And then they come out the other side of, of the dark night of the soul and they go into act three with their healed story point belief. With baby, that was not her fault. Like she, she still said those things like, but she, the, the consequences of that thing or the consequences of, of that moment where she reveals their relationship um, were not a result of her flawed decision-making. Do you see what I'm saying? Of like, yes, they happened because she said that, but that was not because she's had the wrong beliefs. She's had the right beliefs that everyone mm -hmm. should be treated equally. And then the people around her are the wrong ones who have now done the wrong thing by punishing, um, by pun what's his name? I'm so sorry. Johnny. Johnny, yeah. by punishing Johnny. Um, so how does she come out the other side of that and realize everyone else is still wrong. I'm still, I still have the right beliefs. What am I going to do about it? So what, what's that kind of like dark night of the soul beat for baby or, and what do we normally see for like static arcs where, you know, that mo that all is lost moment isn't necessarily a result of their bad choices. Mm -hmm. So for baby specifically, and I'm 90% sure I'm not mixing this scene up with another one. <laughs> um, her dark night of the soul, I believe, is she confronts her father. So throughout the movie, she kind of idolizes her father as someone who's like her, like who believes in justice. He's one of the only people who encourages her to join the Peace Corps. Like mm. she's very much like of her parents. She's closest with her father. She has a tremendous respect for him. And when, after that happens, and even her father doesn't stand up for her or Johnny, she goes to him and basically says, so everything you taught me was, was a lie. Like mm -hmm. you have to, she confronts him of you have to own up to that because all my life you've told me that justice matters and you should pe treat people equally. Why is that not true now? And he can't answer her. Mm. That, so for the flat arc, that, that like dark night of the soul beat, that sort of post, post third plot point, yeah, is um, it's a moment. It's a moment of reaffirming. Usually, you know, they they already know their 
lesson. They already know their truth. And so it's a moment where they kind of have to sit down and look at look at the what they think is a failure um, and realize it's not their fault, that it's yeah. the world around them and that even despite that, they're going to hold on to that, to, to that truth. Um, and so for her specifically, I think that moment of confronting her father, who she has a tremendous amount of respect for, and he cannot answer her, is one tells her that he's wrong. Yeah. Because he's never not had an answer throughout the whole movie. He's always been able, every thing she asks, he's always had an answer that she's accepted. And this time he couldn't say anything. And so she's like, so you're you're wrong. You're wrong. And that reaffirms for her that she did make the right choice. It's the people around her that that made the wrong one. Um Another example of that would be uh, to sort of pick on another Studio Ghibli film. Anyone familiar with Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind? Princess Nausicaa in that movie is a flat arc protagonist. And her sort of, you know, all is lost moment um, is she realizes that the, so the premise of that movie is that um, it's sort of a post-apocalyptic earth where this like toxic forest is slowly spreading across the planet and there are very few safe places for people left and all the people around her are very like militaristic and very aggressive because you have to be to survive in this world you know there are rival kingdoms that are trying to wipe each other out because everyone is fighting for a very limited amount of space and resources and her mindset is we're all all just going to exterminate each other like mm -hmm. there's no point to this um and she's trying to find an answer to why this jungle exists. You know, she's like, it can't just be toxic. Like something has to be going on here. And her, her sort of um, mid midpoint, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with Save the Cat, so I can't say the exact beat for that yeah. structure. But her midpoint moment is when she realizes what the jungle is doing. It's taking poison that was put in the earth by past armies to try to salt the earth and kill their opponents. And it's extracting it and, and getting rid of it. But in doing so, it releases into the air and kills the people around it. Yeah. So she's like, oh, this, this is our fault. My truth is correct. We are just gonna exterminate ourselves. But her all is lost moment is she's racing home to try to, to warn people, you can't keep fighting each other when she realizes that an opposing kingdom is basically marching uh, a sentient nuclear weapon. It's, mm. it's, it's sci-fi, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Ghibli. It's, it's Ghibli. <laughs> it's sci-fi. It's basically a giant, like, mech creature that is, is basically a living nuke. Yeah. They're marching a living nuke to exterminate her kingdom. And she will never get there in time. Like, it's just yeah. not going to happen. So for her, it's not that her decisions were wrong. So same with Baby. It's not like her, yeah. the failings of her decisions, but... I would think of it more as like a culmination of the failings of the people around them. Yeah. Like a flat arc is so external to the character. Like so much of it is defined by the people around them. And so in that case, her, her sort of dark night of the soul is she kind of loses herself for a moment and basically picks up a machine gun and like almost kills a couple people. Yeah. And then at the last minute is like, that's not, who I am. Like I'm becoming like them because I'm so hurt by what's happening. Um, and so I think there's that element of you still have the same lead up. Like baby still has that moment of doubt. Nausicaa still has that moment of doubt of maybe they are right. 
um, where, so I, I usually teach it as like the harmful belief. Yeah. Um, I know you say the, the inner struggle. Yeah. But whatever that, that limiting belief is, um, either in a positive arc that they, the character holds or in a flat arc that the world around them holds, that needs to have a resurgence at that point in the story and really like sink its teeth in and make the character fight to, to move away from it. So in a flat arc, that's going to be a moment of doubt for a positive arc. That might be a look at how I've been failing because I've still been holding on to this belief, but either way that belief sort of rears its head in some fashion. Yeah. I love this. This is really resonating with me uh, when I think about it as like they have the the character that has this flat arc. They hold this healed belief, the story point, their truth, whatever it is, they hold this. But the challenges that they face are the beliefs of the world around them kind of given form. So the struggles that they keep continue to run into are when the people around them hold the flawed beliefs. And then that manifests in some plot event and your main character then has to, um, you know, run up against that, like hit that and be like, okay, how am I going to move forward? And that keeps happening until you have the, the doubt moment, the really big event that pops up of the, all of the, uh, flawed beliefs of the world around them are now manifesting in some really, really, really big way. And it makes them question you know, the core fundamentals of the healed belief that they currently hold. And they choose then to hold on to it, mm-hmm. hold on to that healed belief, push through, you know, the resistance of the the flawed beliefs around them and come out the other side with like, well, here's what I'm going to do about it. And here's why I still believe what I believe. Here's why this is still my truth. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to succeed, you know, with their goals by the end. Yeah. And I would say to to build off of that sort of as a last point is, you know, as we're talking about this, like, well, it's not really their fail, their wrong decisions that have led to this. It's the decisions of the people around them. I think it might be easy to assume that that means they don't have a lot of agency. And I would caution against that. Mm-hmm. Um, because for instance, um, you know, to pick on, on Nausicaa, she has that moment of doubt where she sort of, gives into that that harmful belief that um inner struggle of the world around her at the last minute realizes no this is not who i am reaffirms her lesson um her healed belief and rather than just say well (laughs) yes there's nothing i can do um she effectively rather than kill the people she currently has at the end of a machine gun says uh, you will get in that plane and you will fly me to the front. You will drop me off in front of this nuclear weapon and then you can leave. Like, I'm not going to make you stay and get killed, Yeah. but you're going to fly me there and I'm going to face it. And she basically effectively goes on a suicide mission, Yeah. Um, not to fight anyone, but just to sort of stand in proof of her truth. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, it's Ghibli. It's a lot of it's very metaphorical, uh, in doing so she sort of becomes the Messiah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it works out for her. But it, it, she takes that truth and she translates it into an action that she is going to take. Yeah. And same with Baby. Um, she she has that that dark night of the soul. Her father can't answer her. It reaffirms that no, I was right all along. And rather than just give up, she goes to Johnny and says, you know, 
I still believe that what happened was wrong. And she sort of gives him that last push as a positive art character to not give up. And so he then, at the end of his arc, rallies all of the staff to come back and sort of make a statement and she joins them. And so, you know, even though they're, even though they're fighting against sort of a larger obstacle of the people around them, they're still taking action to do something about that. They're not a passive character. I love that. Yeah. This has given me so, you know, I, I have always felt like, oh, static arcs are great, but like, maybe they're not as exciting as like a positive arc or a negative arc. But this conversation, I feel like, has really opened my eyes to how powerful these characters can be and how powerful they can, how powerful their journeys can be in a greater narrative. Um, And if they feel much more tangible and doable to me in my head, I'm like, how can I pull this off? How can I go write a static arc right now? (laughs) Flat arc, Um, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. But um, how can I do that? I love that. Um, So, we have in this episode, we've talked a lot about how to pull this off, about what examples are doing and how to incorporate that into your own writing. Um, so if you're like, how can I do this? I would go back and re-listen from the beginning. But I think the first step in creating a static arc or a flat arc is to understand what that core belief is. Do you agree? Yeah. And I would I would say it's on both sides. What yeah. is and I'd say this is true for any arc personally, but yeah. especially for a flat arc. What is that harmful belief or internal obstacle? What is the what is the belief that they're having to fight against? And then what is that truth or lesson that they either already know for a flat arc or that they have to learn um, for other arcs? Because that that is your character arc. Like before you even think about like positive arc, negative arc, flat arc, or if you get into like coming of age arc or redemption arc, like before you worry about that, you have to know those two components because they're they're fundamental to, yeah. to all of this, I'd say. Yeah, love that. Okay, so establish what those two beliefs are going to be. What's that healed belief that this um, flat art character has? And what's the internal obstacle or what's the flawed belief that the world around them has? Um, and from there, you can start to determine, you know, how do those things show up in the world, in their life? How would you structure a story like this? Um, and like Lewis said earlier, it, these can still apply to any standard story structure, like Save the Cat, um, like the three-act structure. Um, you're just playing with how that obstacle is manifesting and what your character is choosing to do in the face of it, um, which I think is a, is a really fun way to build a story. Um, any final thoughts do you have for us, Lewis, before we wrap up? No, other than I'm also currently sitting here like, man, I should, I, I really should incorporate a flat arc into that <laughs> novel I'm working on. But you and I will have to commiserate all our writing plans are uh, up, in, up in smoke. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. Um, okay, then last thing. Um, you, I know before, before we started recording, um, Lewis has a book all about character arcs. So what, do you want to plug that for us and people can go check it out? Yes. I like how you did tell <laughs> me we were going to do this before we started recording because you knew I would say no. Um, I'm not here just to shill. I'm here to, to co-host. Um, but yes, for anyone who's um, really interested in like mostly extra examples, like that book has a lot of like really in-depth, like laying out examples and talks more about how this would manifest across like a whole story. I know we talked a lot about that all is lost, dark night of the soul moment, but it sort of walks through like the full, you know, start to finish sort of what is the shape of these arcs. Um, 
that book is mastering character arcs. So I, I don't, it's, it's an Amazon link. It's not yeah, a clean link. It. That I'll I put it in the, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. But if it's in the show notes, <laughs> um, yeah, it goes in depth on like sort of how, how you build those components and what that looks like um, for all the, all the different arcs, um, but flat, flat and static as well. Awesome. Love it. So mastering character arcs. Um, I will have the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, I have it. I was referencing it to help with this episode. Um, it's super, um, it's very enlightening. And those examples are so helpful. Um, so thank you, Lewis. Thank you for joining us as co-hosts. This was so much fun. Um, we'll have a few more episodes like this. So see you next week. All right. If you want to build a successful, fulfilling, and sustainable writing life that works for you, you've got to get on our email list. Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arcs. After seven days of email magic, you'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Bye.